Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, it is um, it's good to be with you this morning. I've uh, been gone a lot during the summer, kind of in and out, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, but if it is your first time with us, way to come on 4th of July uh, weekend. So um, good for you. I'm glad you're here. I'm Pastor Josh, and it's good to meet you. Uh, I'll stick around after the service if you want me to for a call. Just give me 10. I'd love to shake your hand and give you a little gift. Uh, but some of you, I just want to give a quick update. There's some pictures here. We have uh, been doing a remodel called Pursuing God's Dream, and this space behind me here uh, is going to be a children's wing. It's becoming a children's wing, um, and we're still knocking out walls. We're going to be knocking out walls here in the lobby to expand some place, uh, some space for us, and a few other things that, have, that are going to be going on as we continue as a congregation to kind of continue to grow. We've had a couple uh, work days. I didn't get into the pictures from this past Friday, but here are some pictures of people busting out walls. Uh, we're trying to do some of the demo ourselves just to, to save a few dollars. And uh, also, I'm pretty sure it's probably been some pretty good fellowship for some people as well. And so really cool. You can probably even go look back there after the service if you want. If you step on a nail, it's your fault, not ours. Uh, just so you know, don't sue us. Um, but cool things going on, and I'm excited what God's going to do in that space uh, for our, our children and those who serve with our children. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, just kind of an update that I wanted to give you. During the summer, it's kind of a, a, a different time, a lot of times for churches and even for us. And, and one of the things that um, we do during the summer is a lot of times we don't have always, like, hey, this is a series that we're in. We kind of are hitting different things during the summer, almost like kind of a shotgun approach, and I was talking to uh, Dr. Varner, one of our worship leaders, because we just got back uh, from a convention for our movement, and I'm like, yeah, I'm still praying about, thinking about uh, what to teach and, and what to preach, uh, which is weird for me, because I usually have things kind of planned out for a period of time. Uh, on the 4th of July weekend, I was telling him, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, and he's like, hey, just just talk about what God's kind of been doing in your life, and uh, I, I, so I started to, to think about that a little bit, and one of the reasons that I've kind of been in and out, there's obviously some family vacation stuff that will be happening and, and going on, but in reality, a lot of it has to do uh, with some places um, that I've, I've felt like I've needed to be, either for work or even to give thanks for what people have done in my life in the past. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege, I got to speak at my pastor's retirement. Uh, they asked me to speak that Sunday morning, which was just a, a huge privilege uh, for me. He had been in full-time ministry for 33 years and retiring. His name was Ricky. If you've been around in this church for any period of time, you've heard me talk about him. Uh, Ricky was my youth minister when I came to faith and started to attend church, and he helped lead me to the Lord. And I've been able to see and watch his life and We've uh, even vacationed together at times, and he's been one of those people who's just kind of been a rock in my life, and he has gifts that I don't have. Uh, like, I don't know if you know this, but faith is a gift. Like, we have, we have faith in Jesus, and we're saved by grace through our faith in Jesus, and we put it in Jesus, but for a lot of us, always to just kind of be thinking all the time that, like, God's going to take care of it, that God is faithful, that's... That's not always even the go-to sometimes of Christians. Now we need to be reminded of that. And he's one of those guys, I mean, the sky can be falling, and he'd, he'd be like, ah, God's got it. God's faithful. 
And so it's always good for me to be around somebody like that as I've been thinking about and always thought about what does my life look like and what does my ministry look like to be around that and uh, to hear that from him. Uh, It's always been very nourishing for me and very helpful for me. One of the things that he did in my life, though, is he was always encouraging me, especially as I kind of was developing a call in a ministry and what I was going to be doing. And what I noticed in him is that he had done this for a number of other people. Uh, Some of you are familiar with Kyle Hayes. Kyle Hayes helps run Children of Promise. He's been here a number of times. Children of Promise works with kids uh, all around the world. They're in 30 different countries and they're trying to help kids reach wholeness. And so what they do is they go in and make sure that they are are well-fed, well-dressed, well-educated, and uh, also that they are hearing and knowing about Jesus. And so just a really cool organization and ministry that we get to support and partner with. Some of you sponsor kids as part of their organization. And many of you uh, have been told when Kyle is here, what's really cool is that Kyle and I actually grew up in the same student ministry. He was traveling during... Uh, my pastor's retirement, and so I asked him to send this video in, and he sent a video in, and one of the things that he said about our pastor, about Ricky, that he always appreciated, and as he was reflecting on all the kind of the leaders that came out of that church uh, within ministry, he, he said this in his video, he said, one of the things that I appreciate most about you, Ricky, is that you let us lead. Ricky was always looking for and giving us opportunities uh, to lead within the church and the communities that we were involved in and encouraging us. He ended up leading our, our worship band for our student ministry, and he would teach every once in a while. And that was, that was true of Ricky. Um, he let us lead and even encouraged us to and even would maybe even twist the senior pastor's arm because I got to preach and teach a few times as a high school kid to our congregation, which was a major mistake. Uh, it, it just was. Uh, I was not good at it. You still might not think I'm good at it, and that's fine. But, but they, they let us do that, and because of that, we were able to have leadership positions. And I also just got back from the Church of God convention, and there I got to see a lot of people that I grew up in ministry with a little bit because I had a mentor named Andy Stevenson that while in college, I had us rubbing shoulders with all these people in ministry. So it was just good to see that because I had been encouraged by those people. And And one of the reasons that we do a lot of the things that we do in our church is partly just because of my experience in ministry, thinking about what are the things that have influenced me most that has has kept me kind of uh, um, um, where I'm at, not just in ministry, but in faith. Because not all of you are going to be in in full-time ministry. That's not my goal for some of you, but maybe God is calling you to some of that. But what are the things that that anchor us in in faith. And I think it's giving people opportunities to lead. And so if you've been uh, in this congregation and attending uh, here for over the past month or two, what you've noticed is we've had some young uh, preachers and teachers up here on the platform. Several weeks ago, Memorial Day weekend, you saw and got to hear Sam Bowers do an incredible job of uh, presenting one of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the Peacemakers. And it's just an incredible thing to see him grow as a young man. And now he's off, going off to Lee University uh, to be a, a pastor. And we have done what we can to, to put him in front of you and give him opportunities to lead. Last week, if you were here, you got to see Austin, our student pastor, um, a student director, 
give his first message in front of you all, and I think he just did an incredible job. And I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for a church that values that, because we want to make sure that we are developing leaders and teachers, and we're giving people an opportunity to grow in this place. And I think in a very real sense, that's what it means to make disciples. So this morning, as I think about what God has been doing in my life and reminding me of, I want to talk to you a little bit about leadership, about leadership. And you know, if you've taken Discover and you've been in that class and uh, part of our congregation, how we define leadership is really simple. We define leadership in our congregation as influence. Leadership is influence. Now, we didn't make this up. This came from Peter Drucker, as far as I can tell, from his book, The Practice of Management. And he says this. He says, leadership is not defined by position or title, but the ability to influence. This being the case, that means that we we are all leaders. Every single one of you is a leader. All of you have influence. In fact, you have been leading all week, whether you realize it or not. Before you got here this morning, you were leading. You have been leading all week in your homes. You have been leading all week in your community. You have been leading all week in your workplace. No matter where you've been or what you've been doing, if other people are there, you are leading. You are influencing them. You, you often are changing, directing, helping them deal with their personalities, what they're going to do, what they're not going to do. And so you're all leaders. You are a leader. We believe that Jesus was the greatest leader. There's nobody who's influenced society more than Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at how Jesus encourages us to lead and why leadership is important to us and what kind of leadership is important to us. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 20. If you'd like to read off your paper Bible, I encourage you to uh, turn to Matthew 20, and we'll begin at verse 20. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on, because often this passage, I've heard this passage taught and uh, preached a number of times, uh, but it's often you're kind of just dropped into it, and you don't know what is happening before you get there. So before you get to Matthew 20, verse 20, um, in Matthew 19, you have uh, this, this rich young ruler come to Jesus, and he asks basically, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus says, well, what do you think you must do? And, and the, the, the young man basically answers that, hey, I need to follow the Ten Commandments. I need to love God and love my neighbor. And Jesus is like, yeah, great. And the, the young man's like, hey, I basically have done this. And what's really interesting, interesting about Jesus' answer there is he's not like, no, you haven't. Because that's, you've, you've ever, like, you've been a part of that, those evangelistic movements where they just talk about how bad you are. Um, and there's a place for that, by the way. Um, but, but Jesus actually doesn't answer like that. He goes, you know what? You, you actually, yeah, you've, you've honored your mother and father. You've, you've done these things. You seem to, to fear God. And Jesus says, there's just one thing that you still lack. And he says, go sell everything you have and, and give it to the poor. And I think what Jesus is doing there is he's, he's challenging him. He's saying, all of your life belongs to me. Not just your obedience. I want everything to be given to me. And so the disciples are watching this take place, and they're like, well, if that guy can't inherit eternal life, who can? And Jesus tells them, he says, 
whoever who, who has left everything to follow me, like e- eternal life will be theirs. And they go into this and like, well, we've, we've done that. We, we dropped our nets. We, we, Matthew, I, I, I'm no longer a tax collector. I'm, I'm following you. They, they've done everything and they're, they're following Jesus. And this is how Jesus responds to them and their, and their response to watching that. He says, I, I assure you that when the world is made new, and this is in Matthew 19, 28, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on, upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what Jesus does here, he says, you obviously have given up everything to follow me. I mean, you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You all are all in. And because you're all in, Here's what you get to do. You get to sit beside me in heaven. You, you get to, to, to judge along with me. Like you're, you're going to be right with me there. And so you have Jesus on his throne and, and then the 12 there. And so you have to imagine that they begin to have these, this vision of greatness going on in their heads. Like there's, there's Jesus and there's us in the kingdom. I mean, what, what a powerful thing to think about that this is what they were promised, this advancement and greatness in God's kingdom. And so this is the context before we get to Matthew 20, verses 20, here through 28, um, on this. They're, they're, trying to, they're, they're trying to contemplate, like, what is going to happen? How is this even going to work? And this is where Jesus is at, or where we're at here in uh, the text. We're told then... The mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, Zebedee's sons are James and John. Uh, so I might refer to them as James and John. So the mother, though, of James and John came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked him for a favor. What is it you want? He, a- he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at the left in your kingdom. And so James and John's mom come to Jesus, and they're asking for the prime spot. There's Jesus on his throne, and you've got James on one side and John on the other. Now, this doesn't even seem like that big of a deal to ask for. I mean, Jesus said, you know, you should ask, knock, seek. Not only that, James and John happen to be in Jesus' inner circle. They're likely maybe even his cousins. I mean, these are the people that when Jesus only takes two or three out to ministry or up on the mountain to pray, like he's taking James, John, and Peter. And, and so it makes sense that she would ask to a certain extent. I also want to point out here something that is going on is that she was likely put up to this. James and John's mother wasn't present or she didn't seem to be present in chapter 19 of Matthew's gospel when Jesus is teaching them that they're going to sit on the throne, that they're going to be beside him when judgment day comes and they're worshiping and celebrating in heaven. So I have to imagine that James and John go to their mom like, Mom, would you ask Jesus? If we can sit on his right and on his left, they must have done that. What's even, I think, when you think about this story and even where it comes from, 
I think what's maybe even more incredible here, or I think just even kind of funny, is that I think Matthew is actually taking a dig at them. See, I believe that the Bible is spirit-inspired, but it's also written by people. And Matthew was a part of all of this. And if you read Mark's gospel, Mark just basically says, like, James and John come to Jesus asking this. Mark went kind of easy. Mark was probably inspired by Peter there and was told what happened through Peter. But Matthew is reminding the readers that James and John put their mom up to going to ask Jesus for places of authority. Matthew was probably a little annoyed by them. These cowards. These, these mama's boys here. My dad, he, uh, he teaches high schoolers. He works at a trade school, and he teaches high schoolers like in machining and tooling. Um, it, it's primarily kind of a, a male-dominated uh, uh, profession. Uh, we have a, a female here who owns a tool shop, though. You go, girl. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you'll love this, okay? So my dad's been teaching high school for he was He had been teaching for years, and um, you know, one of the things that he prides himself on is he's, he's able to get kids at jobs. Like, if you're, like, halfway good at some of these sorts of things, like, he can guarantee a job, and coming out of high school can guarantee a pretty good job and a good-paying job and all these sorts of things. And so he, part of their program is that you, you got to work, and he'll send them out to work. And uh, he knows we're, like, third generation. I'm the only person, I'm the first Dieter not to be a toolmaker and machinist. Uh, several generations, and so he knows all of these guys who own these shops, and so he called up and had to check on this kid, and he's like, hey, did this, how did this kid do? Did he interview well? Does he get the job? And, and the owner of the shop is like, yeah, it seemed like a nice kid, and his, his mom was really nice too. <laughs> and he's like, well, wait a second. How did you meet his mom? Well, she sat in on the interview. Moms, don't do that. Like, get your kid. Like, l- let him go. Push him. Make him go. So this is what's going on here. She's asking. And now what happens here is Jesus directs his gaze at James and John. He, he knows what's going on. And you don't know this uh, unless you really study this or, or can kind of see this in the Greek because he doesn't use the, the, the singular you here. I, I've told you this before. This is, this is the one thing, like, I, I lived in the South for a while. This is the one thing that we probably actually should pick up as far as vocabulary in the North. The rest of the stuff you can leave. But this you here in verse 22 is y'all. He looks at James and John, and he says, come on, guys. That's the Midwest one. Come on, guys. You know better. He says, y'all don't know what you're, you, y- y'all don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're asking here as he's looking to James and John. And they, then he asks this question. He says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, now, cup is a metaphor throughout the scriptures for basically suffering and sacrifice. And so Jesus is essentially asking them, are, are you going to be able to pay for the sins of the world? Are you willing to go to the cross? Are you capable of it? And it's, it's, it's a probing question. It, it, it's a question that they're supposed to kind of look deeply at. 
And, and Jesus is eventually going to li- be lifted up. And, and they don't know this at this time, but the people next to him are also going to be crucified next to him. And so you would think they're going to answer a particular way, but they don't actually answer the way that we think we would answer or that we expect them to answer in the text. And I actually love how they answer. And let me tell you why. Let me show you why, and then I'll tell you why. Here's how they answer. We can. We can. Now, I love this. Because, I mean, they're just, they're all in for Jesus. They've already given up everything. They're following Jesus. They're ready to go. And they're ready to, to basically, like, take hell with a fire extinguisher here. That's, that's what they are like. They already know that they're, they're promised heaven. They're promised leadership. They're, they're promised authority. They're promised power in Jesus' kingdom. So they're ready to go, and they're eager. We can. That's, not the, that's probably not the way that Jesus was even expecting them to answer. And as I think about our kind of student minister, Austin, I mean, that's like, that's just his attitude in general. Like, hey, Austin, you think you can do it? Yeah. In my back of my mind, I'm going, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but that, I, I, I love that that's where these guys are at right now. And this is how Jesus responds to them. You will indeed drink from my cup. In other words, Jesus is, knows that, that they are all in that they're ready to go, that they're going to follow him. In fact, James is the, the first martyr uh, out of the disciples. James is the first one to die. John will eventually die in prison on Jesus' behalf. So he's like, okay, yeah, I, I guess you will. I kind of hope Jesus has a sense of humor here. I kind of think he's probably laughing in the back of his head. But then he says this, but to sit on my right or my left is not for me to grant these places belong to those whom have been prepared by my Father. In other words, the seating chart on that day, at that time, belongs to my Father, and I've given that up to him. And when the ten, the others that are watching what's going on here, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. What about us? Are you, are you really going to ask this question in front of all of us? I wonder what they had been thinking, too, on that day when Jesus told them that they were all going to be lined up next to him on their own thrones. By this time, you know, we sometimes think of the disciples as, as people who were kind of the they, they weren't the, they weren't the people that were real high up. But by this time, they had been Jesus, with Jesus for several years, and they had to start thinking pretty, pretty highly of themselves. I mean, they were, they were becoming leaders, and if anything uh, I know about leadership or thinking about being around leaders. At some point, leaders often start to jockey for positions. Your, your ego often will start to take over and, and maybe get bigger. And I mean, who can blame him? Jesus called them to come and follow him. They, he could have picked any 12, but he picked these 12. And during that time, Jesus comes, becomes incredibly famous. I mean... Think about what they would have been hearing as they were walking around with Jesus. You see, that's, that's Jesus. You see, Je- you see the, the, those, those guys, they, they get to live with Jesus. Jesus, you know, Jesus healed the centurion's servant. They, they, were, they were front row. They got to see it. Jesus has been casting out demons. Jesus preaches like one with authority. 
these guys, they get to hear each and every sermon. He, he talks on God's behalf, and he, he chose those guys. There's a rumor going around that there was a storm, and they were in a boat, and Jesus calmed the storm. But before that, you see Peter? That man walked, that man walked on water for a few steps. You, you can imagine that they're, they're, they're hearing those whispers. They saw the, the miracles of Jesus. They had been with them, and they were the chosen ones. And now James and John want the prime positions. So Jesus is seeing this. He's watching this and saying, okay, come on, come here. Time for a little leadership powwow. So he calls them together and he said, you know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know, gentlemen, how other leaders operate. You, you know that as they gain positions of leadership and authority, that they try to accumulate more and more power and authority for themselves. You know how they do it. They lord it over other people. They lord their power and authority over others. They exercise authority over them. The words lord it over and exercise authority over, they're all just one word in the Greek. And they begin, they're compound words, and they begin with the word kata. Kata means to move downward. It means to be against. It means to move back. And so Jesus says, you know how leaders operate in our culture and in our society. And what they do is they're always trying to move others downward as they move up. They're against others as they move up. They're trying to move not just forward, but they're trying to move others back. And as he's got them in this powwow and he's looking them in the eyes he says this not so with you not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave whoever wants to be great the great word for mega, the highest, the greatest, the biggest, the most important, must be then two words here that I promise you none of us actually like. We're not surprised by them if you've been in the church, but sometimes you need to kind of slow down when you read the Bible and realize and understand what Jesus is doing and saying. You've heard this text before, probably, if you've grown up in the church. So many times, though, you're probably not really offended by them anymore. Or caught off guard. 
But what Jesus does is he says that we need to be servants. Think about that for a second. I ain't no one servant, right? If somebody said, you need to be my servant. These two words here, I'm going to define. The first, obviously, is servant. And this means that you're focused on doing things for others rather than yourself. Servants in the first century, they were served and never served. If you hired a servant, you did not serve that servant. That servant was hired to serve you. And that's their lot, and that's what you're paying them to do. This is a word, though, that becomes prominent within the early church. The word is diakonos, and what it describes is a deacon. And if you read through the early church structure, what you'll discover is there, there are deacons. There are servants in the church, and it's, it's basically just kind of a, a, a lay leader in the church. And as that word then gets moved to the Latin later on, the word becomes minister. That ministers are servants, but not only are professional ministers servants, we see, this should be used to describe lay leadership. And then in the West, even as we celebrate Independence Day today, we don't use this in our country, but we see that in the West, people have what they call prime ministers. In other words, the lead servant. This is the position of the leaders who believe that this text makes sense that we when we lead we are supposed to serve so he says you're you're a servant you want to serve and then he goes on and he says you need to be a slave you need to be a slave think about that for a second a slave is someone bound to serve and obey and serve their master now i'm going to pause here because Peter and Paul both describe us as slaves of Christ. And so if you're, uh, some of this I think will be applicable to you even if you're not a Christian. Uh, This part, what I'm telling you is primarily only applicable to you if you are a a Christian. And there are reasons uh, that it's a good thing to be a slave to Christ. And we'll end with that this morning. But if you are a slave... Christ, as Peter and Paul says we are as we come to follow Christ, what that means is that we follow Christ in everything we do. We try to become like Christ in everything that we do, everything that we say. We submit to Christ's commands in our lives, and we must obey him in all things. And Jesus says that great leaders are going to be slaves and servants, that we're going to serve other people. They're going to lift other people up. And so great leaders then, we are servant leaders. Great leaders are servant leaders. And what Jesus is doing here is he's switching the paradigm. In chapter 19, he actually tells people that the first will be last and the last will be first twice. And Jesus again is showing how that's going to work. Jesus is saying, I am going to elevate those who are in low positions. I am going to lift those people up. He reverses how the world works. People call this the upside-down kingdom. I elevate the lowly. And as leaders, as servant leaders, the type of culture that I want to build in this church is that I want to see us as a church that helps to elevate people, that helps to lift people up. 
We want to be the type of people who gives people opportunities. We don't want to throw people to the wolves. I don't want anybody up here on this platform or in particular places that aren't ready to do certain things, but we want to be the kind of church that raises people up and elevates people. But not only that, I want you to be kind of the people that when you think about your workplaces, your homes, your communities, every other place that you're at, how can I help people elevate? How can I help people rise up? How can I help people reach their potential? How can I help people to know and follow Christ? How can I serve others so that I might elevate them and help them? This is the type of, type of mindset good leaders have. If we believe that Jesus was the greatest leader, which I do believe he was, this is the kind of mindset that we want to have as a church and as followers of Jesus. I believe that Jesus was the greatest leader, and this is what Jesus says about himself here. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, you need to be a servant and slave. And then he says, look at my life. I came to serve. Look at my life and just ask yourself, what do you see? What do you see? The God of all the cosmos The powerful, becoming a baby, helpless, born in a barn, raised by simple parents, who becomes a carpenter, who decides to minister to the broken, the bruised, the busted, the demon-possessed who brings healing to the hurting, who touches those who other people won't touch. And yet he's not afraid to be with or talk to anybody. Rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Jesus is ready to be there, willing to be there. And not only that, he doesn't, he doesn't call the people that you think he would call. He calls fishermen. He calls the hated. Matthew himself was not liked before Jesus. Those are the people that he calls to follow him. And what he essentially is saying is, look at my life. Do I look like other leaders who make their leadership about them? Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And right now, we, we live in a time where I don't think any of us would argue that leadership is influence. And it's all about building a bigger platform for ourselves. I, I personally, I need to use social media more than what I do. I'm not against it, but right, we're, we're trying more and more to have influence, build a bigger platform, everybody look at me, and Jesus comes, and he doesn't lift himself up like a lot of us will or do or want to. He's going to be lifted up, but why is he going to be lifted up? He's going to be lifted up so that we might be lifted up. He says, the whole world's going to see me lifted up. You're going to know about me being lifted up. But he's put on that cross so that we might be lifted up so that we might 
know the love of God. So that we might celebrate that. So that we could be lifted up. Two things here that we want to think about as we conclude. As we want to be servant leaders. The first is that servant leaders are always looking for opportunities to lift others up. It's easy to tear people down. And we need to find ways to lift others up. In our home. In our church. In our workplaces. And I want you to imagine this morning, maybe you being in any of those places in your community. And what it looks like and the things that you are doing and the people that you're around to lift them up, to encourage them, to give them opportunities to thrive, to get better, to grow. The second is this, servant leaders find their worth and approval in one place, and that's God. You know, many of us, this is kind of an equation that we use uh, when we think about leadership and even evaluating our leadership. We think about our performance plus the approval of others. And so that's where we get our self-worth as leaders and as influencers. And if you do this, you will become a slave. In fact, most of us already are slaves. We're, We're offended by that word and we should because of our history with the word. But the scriptures point out we're, we're already slaves to something. We're, we're slaves to ourselves or we're slaves to others. And if you are a leader who is constantly looking for the approval of others or that you're crushed when you don't get the approval of others or when you do something and others aren't approving of what you're, what you're doing, what happens is that can crush you. And it feels like Right inside, it's not what it is, but it, but it feels like people are, are beating you up and are harming you because you're allowing them to. But what Jesus does is he shows up and he says, I'm going to be crushed so you don't have to. And when other people are criticizing you, when other people are coming after you as a leader, I'm going to show up with the cross and I'm going to offer grace and I'm going to save you And I'm going to remind you that you are mine. This is what he means when he gave his life as a ransom for many. And for all of us, as servant leaders and servants of Christ, we have to remember as we serve and as we lead, we are the many. We are the many that Jesus has given his life for. That when we are beating ourselves up, because maybe we failed in an area of leadership in our life, that Jesus shows up with grace. That Jesus shows up and he reminds you of who you are. That you are a saint. That you've been set apart for him. To serve him. To do his work. To love him. To follow him. That you are a child of God. And no one is going to take that from you. A, a, a failure does not make you any less of a child of God. When my kids mess up, they're still my kids. I probably want to harm them more than Jesus does. <laughs> but they still belong to me. You're chosen. You're beloved. You're a priest. 
You're a citizen of heaven. And so you can serve. You can lift others up. Because Jesus promises on the last day, you will be lifted up. You will be lifted up. Because he belong, you belong to him. And so, church, seek to be mega. Seek to be great. Lead. As you do, though, remember that true greatness always belongs to those who serve and lift others up. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're here and we give you praise and thanks for our leader, Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And so we pray that we would follow that way, that we'd live in the truth, and we believe that the way that he says to live leads to life. I pray this morning just for our church. Um, to me, this is uh, just a cultural value that I think that we need to have, that we need to see ourselves as leaders, as influencers, that we get to come in here even and encourage one another after the weeks that we've had to lift each other up even after failures or maybe to encourage people after successes help us to become good and godly leaders in that way remind us of the goodness and grace of God and Jesus I pray Father that you, you do you, you give us influence in our homes, in our communities, in our places of work. And I pray that we use them to build the kingdom, to live out the kingdom. I pray that you help us to navigate all those places in a godly way. And as we're getting ready to respond here and just sing and worship, um, I pray maybe that you'll give us a vision for what it looks like to lead in those places. Show us what it looks like to lead in our home. Your husband, what does it look like to serve your wife, your children, your neighbors, your wife, what does it look like to serve your husband, your children? your neighbors. If you're single, what does it look like to use your time to influence others for the kingdom? While we're at work, while we're at work what does that look like, God? Give us a vision for that. Give us a vision for that. Help us to do that here at the church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to stand, we're going to sing one last song here. Um, you know, this is a time to respond. And maybe you just want to sing and think about those things. Where can I be a better leader? How can I become a servant leader? Uh, you can do that if you want prayer, maybe for an area of your life. Uh, there's a prayer wall here. There's also a prayer nook. You can go back to the prayer nook. And uh, there's couches, there's candles to light. 
let God kind of continue to work during this time and uh, respond in any way that God, you feel like God is leading to you to respond.